0: Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Ma- uh, Matthew's Gospel. When I was growing up as a kid, we... <clears throat> my dad was an avid reader. And so even from a child, I was reading or given a lot of books to read. And one of my favorites, and maybe you read it when you were a kid, by Judith Viorst, was Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible no good very bad day did you ever read that it's about alexander's day and it starts from the time he woke up in the morning and realized that he had been chewing bubble gum when he went to sleep that night and forgot it was in his mouth so he woke up to find that it was all over in his hair and his mom had to help him get it out and then he got out of bed and tripped on the skateboard and fell on his face And then in the bathroom, he actually dropped the sweater he was going to wear that day in the sink, which was full of water. And then at breakfast, his brothers found prizes in their cereal boxes, and he didn't. And then it goes on to say that um, he was uh, going to school carpooling and got stuck sitting between two big kids. And it made him car sick. And so he almost got sick on the way to school. He turned in his artwork project in in a contest It was his invisible castle, and it was disqualified. (laughs) He was singing in in music class, and his teacher told him that he couldn't sing, and he was too loud. At recess, his his friends decided they weren't going to play with him as much. After school, he had to go to the dentist and have a checkup, and he and his two brothers, and he was the only one who had a cavity. And after that, on the way back out to the car, he fell in a mud puddle. And then when he went to the store with his mom... To cheer him up after having a cavity to get the new sneakers he wanted, they were sold out. And so he goes on and on and on. at the very end of all of this, and there's more, um, his mom tells him, don't worry, everyone has bad days. That may work for Alexander, um, but it doesn't work for a lot of us, does it? It doesn't really help to know... Uh, that everybody has a day, a bad day, especially if it's your worst day ever. I I wrote them down tonight, and you probably know um, because there's been so many of them, Um, so many deaths in people's families in the last couple months or so. Kathy Cray's son passed away, um, and that was her second son because her husband and her first son a number of years ago had passed away within two weeks of each other. Um, Kathy Caraca's mom passed away, and Wes Jones, and also uh, Charmel just recently had a funeral for her brother, John Mark's dad, Rick First's wife, and Brian, and uh, Nick Sisti's mom, and Carolyn First, and it's quite a list, isn't it? Um, It made me think of a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. There's been quite a number of them recently. Um, how do you handle them? How do you look at them? Have you ever had a day like that? Um, I'm going to have Pastor Dave come. Where, did he stay in here? He, there he is. Trying to hide way over there. Um, and Kevin, if you wouldn't mind. Um, if you feel like you could, and you don't have to have any lengthy explanation. You can go over here, Kevin. Um, if you want to say just with one sentence, or you can elaborate a little bit more. Um, what was your worst day ever? Um, if you feel free to say, uh, share that with us, um, raise your hand, we'll get a microphone to you. You don't have to go into any great detail. Um, but I just wanted to know if you ever had a horrible, terrible, no good day, and what was it like for you? Just let me have you see your hand, and I'll we'll get a microphone to you, Dennis. I would, say, I would say is when the store burnt down. I was, can't think of anything else. That was, that was pretty bad when the store burnt down. And how many years ago was that now? 1994. 1994. 28 years. Wow. store burnt down. That changed everything. And what we've heard more recently, maybe for the good in some ways, Amen. right? Yeah, and it I, was. In the best yeah. ways, no? It was. Someone else, your worst day ever and why? What happened in a nutshell? Your worst day. Bev? When my son Don died at age 32. Yes, I remember that that day. Hmm. Someone else, your worst day ever, and why? Anyone else? Sarah Joy. Uh, the day we found out our daughter, Brooklyn, would be stillborn. Mm. Mm. Anyone else? Mm. Thank you, guys. It's, It's one thing, isn't it, for your alarm not to go off in the morning or to be late for work and on your way to work, get a speeding ticket, and your boss is upset, and you finally sit down to have lunch and feel a little bit better about your day and realize you forgot it at home. Um, To let your insurance lapse after you get, knowing that you you did that in an accident. I mean, you can think about some of those things, but you know what? Those are things that aren't uh, good things, but when your worst day happens, and when you think of the worst day ever, who do you think in the Old Testament about? Job, the worst day ever, right? You think of... He lost everything. I mean, he lost his wealth, his status, his, all of his possessions pretty much. He lost his children, and even his wife told him to curse God and die. I mean, it was a very, very bad day. Question is, why do bad days like that happen? If you ask Rabbi Harold Kushner, who wrote a very popular book, a few decades ago, and the title of the book was, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? His answer was that he couldn't explain altogether that he thought it was a travesty because people who were very good people had very awful things happen to them, and he really didn't have much of an answer for it. Um, The Bible does. The answer is not Because you're good and you don't deserve bad. That's not going to help anybody either. But what we do find in scripture though, in if you turn to Joseph's story, if you would, real quickly, we're going to come back to Matthew. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 50, you know these verses. If you want to turn there, you can. And in Genesis 50, you know that all these years have passed. Joseph's been thrown, is sold into slavery, he was put into prison unjustly for a number of years and has gone through a, quite an ordeal, probably one of the worst day or days, days altogether, in fact, 13 years of them, from the time he was 17 to the age of 30 when he is taken out of prison and elevated to second in charge of all of Egypt. But it was a long 13-year-old, 13 year old, 13 road, your, your road. And here's what he says at the end. But Joseph said... To them, Genesis 50, verse 19. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now, the verbs are key. As for you, meaning his brothers, you meant it, or you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He didn't say you meant it for evil and God allowed it for good. He doesn't say that. If you have a Bible and you circle or write notes, circle meant it in both of them because it's the exact same verb. It's a verb of intentionality. It's a verb of purpose. Um, So they had planned, designed the evil, and they meant it. It wasn't accidental. But here's what happens simultaneously. His brothers are meaning it for evil on earth, but God is purposing and intentionally intentionally Uh, Designing it for good. That is what happens on your worst days ever. Your worst days ever are a conflict between the evil purposes of Satan and sin and the good purposes of God. So let me tell you tonight, the answer to living with that conflict and that tension is not due to the power of positive thinking. So tonight we're not going to try to say, hey, just turn it over and think really positively about it. We're not going to try to find a silver lining behind every cloud. There, uh, it's not to try to see life on your worst day as half full instead of half empty. But rather, I have a slide up there. It says, and here's my main thesis tonight. Um, On your worst day ever must be viewed and experienced in the light of Jesus' worst day ever. I'm more and more convinced of that all the time. That you cannot properly understand your worst day ever unless you see it in the light of His. And so that's why, if you're still there, I had you turn for starters anyways to Matthew chapter 26. There is, we're gonna do a word study together tonight for a little while, and then we're going to make some applications for it. There is a word in the Greek in the New Testament, it's used throughout the Gospels, sometimes in Acts and in Romans. It's a, the Greek word, and what it means is, here's how it's uh, translated. Um, Sometimes it's used to betray. Um, Sometimes it's used and translated to deliver up Sometimes it's used to describe being handed over to an authority. Um, Numerous different ways it's translated, but every time it's used, it is the same word. And I want to show you by the way that this word is used in the Gospels, particularly how it applies to Jesus' worst day, about how you can see your worst day and to work through it in such a way that God gets the glory and you get the good. All right? So let's look at them. So we're going to look at a number of them. So if you have your Bible, get ready, because we're going to turn to quite a few. The first one being Matthew 26 and verse 15. And so if you're looking for an outline, we're going to look at the people who meant it for evil. Remember our our little outline from Joseph's response? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. We're going to use that as our framework tonight for this word study. And I want you to know, in fact, People have asked the question over time, who really was responsible for having Jesus crucified? All right? So on a side note, we're going to answer that question because it's really pertinent to answering our question tonight. So number one, Matthew 26, 15, here's a use of our word. He said, and, and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? That's Judas and they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Here's our word, delivered him over. That's our, that's our word, our verb, all right? So Judas meant it for evil. Judas, from all that we can tell, had the money bag. He was the treasurer for the discipleship group. He took money freely out of it. He was greedy. I think that there was more to it than just money. I, I think that he was disillusioned in that Uh, Jesus wasn't making himself, and when he watched him ride in on on, uh, Palm Sunday, he didn't take the lead at the kind of Messiah that Judas wanted him to be. I think he got disillusioned, and and then he decided when Jesus wouldn't sell the perfume that she anointed him with for a lot of money that he could steal, that the gig was over, and he was done. And so I think he... he, uh, obviously betrayed Jesus, delivered him over 30 pieces of silver, which is a prophecy, if you want to look it up for yourself, that comes from the prophet Zechariah. That's the price of a slave. He wasn't trying to get rich off of Jesus because 30 pieces of silver really wasn't that much money, but he decided to get something out of it. So we could say, number one, Judas meant it for evil. That's one person and his role played in the crucifixion on Jesus on his very worst day. Secondly, Turn back a few pages to Matthew chapter 20. And verses 18 and 19. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, here's our verb, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And then they will deliver him over two times. To the Gentiles. So there's two delivering over. So Judas is going to deliver him over to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are going to deliver him over to the Gentiles. And he'll be mocked, flogged, crucified, and raised on the third day. So Judas delivered him over because he meant it for evil. Also, the Jewish leaders meant it for evil. They delivered him up. So again, there you have it. You have Judas betraying him. You have the religious leaders handing him over to the Gentiles. And then one more, if you would. Actually, I'm going to look at one more. John 18, if you'll turn there real quick. John 18, in verses 30 and 35. This is the actual carrying out of what Matthew said. John 18, 30, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. See, there's our word again. And then verse 35 says again, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. There it is again. So you got a chain of events going on. Judas hands him over to the religious leaders. The religious leaders, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) hand him over to Pilate. So you can guess what the third one's going to be. Judas meant it for evil. The Judas le- Jewish leaders meant it for evil. Pilate meant it for evil. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-six. If you'll turn there. you will drink water here. Mm-hmm. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-six. It reads, then he released the, for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Judas meant it for evil, but he had his own motives. The Jewish leaders, they meant it for evil, and they had their own motives. In fact, in one text in Ju- John 19, Pilate knew that they delivered him over, it says, because they were envious of him, they didn't like his popularity. Pilate hands him over and delivers him to be crucified because he's fearful that Caesar's going to find out that there's been a riot or a problem. He fears for his own job and well-being. So again, same result, different motivations. Acts chapter 3 and verse 13, if you'll turn there. This wasn't <coughs> just something that was think- they were thinking about when the event was happening, but this is actually something that was preached to the Jewish people looking back on the event. In Acts chapter 3 in verse 13 it reads the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, here's our verb, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. So again, Judas meant it for evil. Jewish leaders meant it for evil. Pilate delivered and meant it for evil, and then you have, as our verse just read, the Jewish people, not just the Jewish leaders, but the Jewish people, the crowds there that were on it, they meant it for evil. And if that wasn't enough, let me build one more. Your sin, your sin and mine, we meant it for evil. Romans chapter 4. Interestingly, if you read the Apostle Paul, who uses this verb three times, He never talks about Jesus being delivered over ever, not even once in the sense that a man is doing it or a person is doing it. Now, we've already seen the gospel says Judas meant it for evil, the Jewish leaders meant it for evil, right? And you got Pilate meant it for evil, the Jewish people meant it for evil, and all of those are true, but Paul never once uses that advantage or that perspective. Every time he uses it, he says, God did it. God delivered him over, right? The watch. He says about your sin and mine, Romans 4 and verse 25. And it reads this, same verb. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So here's what Paul says. Yes, Jesus was delivered up. You know what did it? He had to be delivered up because of your sin and my sin. So although we weren't there in some way, our sins were accounted for and we meant it for evil. But the verse I want to look at just briefly again tonight is, if you turn just a couple more pages, Romans, excuse me, 8, and then we're going to look at Acts 2 if you want to hold both those places. And here's, the, we're going to get some application going here in a second here. But let me give you the verses. You, you know these well. And Acts eight let's start there. And we know that for those who love God, and that's the condition. <coughs> so not everything in life works for good. Your worst days do not become your best days if you're not a Christian. You have to love God. That's the condition. And then he says, They work together for good. Well, what is the good? Now listen, this is crucial because you may have heard most of your life that bad things will turn into good things, but they don't mean good, meaning good in this life. They don't mean that if you have a really bad day, that God will turn it into good and you'll be healed or you'll get the money back that was taken from you or it doesn't, that's not the good that he's talking about. And the good in the passage is the fact of your spiritual security. He's talking about all the good, and, and he's going to say it in very, very specific ways. You're predestined, you're elect, you're, you're sanctified, you're glorified. That's what the next couple verses are all about. So he's going to say, "Hey, it's all going to turn out for good." You know how I know that? Now read the rest of the passage in verses 31 through 39, and you know what it's all about how Paul didn't have any, hardly any good. <laughs> he says. We are killed as as sheep all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. he says, tribulation, nakedness, peril, sword. You You know, I die daily. We are more than conquerors. I face death. I mean, he says all these things. Now, listen, does that sound like it's good to you? But that's what he faced. You might say Paul's worst day ever got repeated over and over and over again. Well, how does he get through that? How does he get through that? Well, he's got a perspective, here's what he knows what shall we say to these things and that might be the question you have on your worst day verse 31 now listen if God is for us now again that's a little paradoxical because look at the next number of verses especially 35 through 39 and you read that long list of things and it doesn't seem like God is for us does it it doesn't. It. You read all the things that took place in his life and never read his record of all the things that he endured. I mean, it's quite a list in 2 Corinthians 11. But God is for us. Who can be against us? Well, we would say just about everybody, right? How does he know? Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son. Now, doesn't that sound like Abraham-Isaac ordeal, right? This is what it all points to. But gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God gave him up. That's our verb. Deliver up gave him up. So who was it that had Jesus crucified? We could say, and we would be right to say it, and we'll do it one more time. Judas did. He meant it for evil, right? Then we have The Jewish leaders meant it for evil. Pilate meant it for evil, evil. The Jewish people meant it for evil. Your sin and mine meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. All right? So what does that mean? Here's what it means for us. Number one, your worst day is not accidental. Does anyone, can you tell me off the top of your head, What is the phrase repeated three times in John 10 and verses 12 through 17 about Jesus dying on the cross? What did he say about his death? No one, what? No one takes my life from me, what? I give it willingly, right? So here's what we have to say. It was, Jesus' worst day ever was not accidental, it was... Planned. It was designed. It was sovereignly controlled by God. Now, watch. How does that work? God works his sovereign pr- plan not around the evil choices of people so that they're not responsible. That's not how he works. He works it through the evil choices of people and accomplishes his will i.e. let's go back one more time Joseph you meant it for evil does not dismiss minimalize run over casually view Joseph's brother's responsibilities they absolutely meant it for evil they had the right when Jacob passes away to think that now they're going to get it because Joseph's going to get revenge because they knew the evil they had done no one downplays it. No one uses different words. We're not trying to minimize. It, it was evil. What the Judas did, the leaders did, the people did, Pilate did, was evil. There's no, they meant it for evil, your sin and mine. We meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Here's what can anchor you on your worst day ever, that God is in control. God is in control. So so listen, so that's how you view and experience your worst day ever. When you look at Jesus' worst day ever, if you did not know all the writings, like Job didn't when he did not know Satan's involvement in his suffering and loss, if you didn't know all of the gospel writings, you would think, that the Jews and Judas and Pilate, they were really the ones in control. And Jesus was weak and in, in, in insufficient of power and strength. He really couldn't get out of it. And you'd think Jesus was a tragic martyrdom. But that's not the case, is it? Jesus, no one took his life. He gave it. Because he was living under the umbrella of God's sovereign plan. And can I say this? So do you and I, if you know him. There isn't anything that happens on your worst day, and I don't say that lightly because I know how hard that is to accept when you've had the worst day. There's not one single thing on the worst day that you ever have that isn't under the sovereign control of God. Now you say, well, that didn't help because the worst day ever still happened. Oh, it did help. Because imagine your worst day ever being controlled by Satan or other people, right? God is in control, and he has it, and he is working it out for good. It's not left to chance. It is not an accident. You are not at the whims of evil people. And so let's apply it today. Look at Ukraine. Look at the war on Russia. Russia is not sovereign in this situation. Watch. They mean it for evil. They are meaning for evil. But under the umbrella of man's sovereignty and the sense of responsibility and power in this world, the umbrella of God's sovereignty rules and reigns in all of it, that he alone sits on the throne. I was asked, have been asked many times, where was God on my very worst day? And here's what I say He was on the throne like he was the day before. And you know where he was before your worst day? He was on the cross. Because his worst day gives you the victory over the worst days that you will ever face. And he can promise that. You know why? Because that's what his son experienced. Because God is sovereign. So here's what I would tell you your worst day is not accidental. It's not just by chance. It's not just random. It's not something that happened to you. And I would and come to my next point. Number two, your worst day is not therefore meaningless. Have you ever had, on your worst day or something like it, have you ever had to the point where you're so frustrated, you're so angry, you're so hurt? that you can't see how there could be any purpose in anything that's happened. I have talked to so many people, even, I would say at times, seasoned Christians who know the Bible and the scriptures fairly well, and they would say, I don't know how God can do anything with this. I don't know how, what the purpose for this could be. I have talked to people who have looked forward to getting married, and their marriage hardly lasted a, a very short time. Out, how they look, up, they look forward to this for so long and now it's gone, how can that happen and then I've, I've talked to people that have looked forward to certain things in retirement, I think of Chris's dad you know when he retired and it was about less than two years later he died of leukemia, I mean you look forward to the time you work your whole life for 40 plus years and then you get to the time where you're going to finally have some time off to enjoy you and, and you, you get the diagnosis you have leukemia what's the purpose in that What's the purpose of not seeing your grandchildren grow up and all of those things? What's the purpose for it? And we begin to think that it's random, that it just happens by chance, and there's absolutely no meaning in it. Romans chapter 2, if you would. I mean, I'm sorry, not Romans, Acts chapter 2. If you'll turn there. Acts 2.22 reads, and our verb is here again. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, here's our word, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now watch side by side. Watch, really. This is about as compact as you can get these two points put together. Right. First part is, remember, God meant it for good. Here it is. God definitely planned it and foreknew it ahead of time. He planned it and designed all of it in Jesus' death. And I would tell you, down to the point where when they came to break his legs, they didn't. On the cross... If you are on a cross there is what's called the patibula and you sit on this little bench so to speak that's built into the wood right under your you know backside right you have the nails through your wrists here because the main way people die on the cross is asphyxiation they they suffocate Um, so your one ankle is turned over on top of the other and the nail goes through the top of it through both feet to secure you into the wood because what you need to do is be able to push off that ankle and push up on your backside and grab the nails that you're you're, you're pierced and you need to pull up and suck in air. That's how you're able to breathe. Now, obviously, after you've been flogged and your cross has been put into a deep hole and you might be out of joint in some of your place, it's obviously a a pain wreck. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's awful. Not to mention that it's, Sweaty and you're naked and socially embarrassed and shamed and in agony, right? So you can notice Jesus says seven things on the cross, terse little phrases because he can't get enough oxygen to say anything at length. So he only says little things, Father, forgive them. He only can say little phrases. That's all the air he has. But he's pulling himself up for all of that. Now listen, he gives up the Spirit and dies now normally what they do because normally if they're really cruel they would let you stay on the cross in agony keep trying to pull up to keep yourself alive and then eventually people go home at nighttime. the animals come and the birds and they start eating you alive i I know that's pretty gruesome but that's what happens and that was what they wanted to happen because your body would be thrown in a ditch they didn't have burials for criminals right jesus doesn't have that happen And the Bible says they came and broke, they take a a pipe and they break your shins. And when they break your shins, you can't push up anymore. In a matter of minutes, you die. When they came to do Jesus that way, he'd already died. So guess what? They didn't have to break his legs. And the prophecy says, and not a bone of his shall be broken. Now you, you, that, I say all that to tell you this. That's how sovereign over your worst day God is. (laughs) He knows Every little detail, every detail of the pain and the act, it doesn't mean it isn't real. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that your tears aren't amazingly hard and difficult. But what it means is that God is in control of it, and it has a purpose. It has meaning. Watch. A definite plan and foreknowledge of God, but at the very same time, God meant it for good, our salvation. Watch. He doesn't let them off the hook one minute. You meant it for evil. Listen to what he says. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, you did it. You're still responsible, he says. So no matter who's causing your worst day ever, whether it's your boss or a really bad marriage or someone who's totally betrayed you, whether it's a diagnosis of Awful health conditions from your wherever it comes. Let me tell you this: God is controlling all of it, and He has your life exactly where He wants it to be in your life. Chapter four, if you would, just turn over a page. In verse twenty-three, when they re- were released, that means the disciples who had just been beaten. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said this. Watch. Sovereign Lord, the one who's in control like he was on Jesus' worst day, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, this is a quotation from Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Which ones? Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples. See, those are the four that we've mentioned, right? They all, those are the four we mentioned, they meant it for evil. But what were they doing while they're responsible for the evil of having Jesus crucified, they were responsible for his worst day ever, like what God says, to do whatever your hand and your plan has destined to take place. Through their evil, wicked choices that were meant for evil, God was using it in his sovereign plan down to the very detail of everything in it to accomplish the good that he had designed for them. And can I tell you, that's exactly what God is doing on your worst day. Your worst day is not accidental. Your worst day is not meaningless. And can I tell you the last one? Your worst day is not defining. And by that, I mean this. You're not a victim. Not in the sense that our world wants to say today. You know, there can be victims of injustice. And certainly, Jesus is the foremost victim of injustice. He should have never been crucified. Even Pilate, who was a Roman and had awful ethics and morality, over and over again says, I find no fault in him. He knew Jesus was innocent. It was a political move on his part, not something that was right or wrong. He saw the innocence and found no fault in Jesus, right? But here's what Jesus says. You know why I don't have a victim mentality? And by the way, there's a huge difference from actually being a victim and having a victim mentality. A victim mentality at its heart says, I'm not gonna take responsibility for my life because other people are at fault. It's always blaming someone else. Jesus doesn't do that. You know how he has the ability, listen to this, to forgive people who are causing his very worst day because he doesn't see them as ultimately in charge he sees god is in charge and when you know god is doing it and god has planned it and god is in control of it and god is using it for ultimate spiritual good see you have a different outlook on the people who are causing it and the foremost victim in history did not adopt a victim mentality because when you do you distort the reality of what god is trying to accomplish it disempowers you from being able to reach out in your worst day to serve and minister to others. It steals your joy because you think that this is random and not under God's control and that it should never have happened because, here's what we say, we deserve better. See, it, it, it'll take all of those things for you. But instead, if you read 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, He trusted, entrusted Himself to a faithful Creator. See, that's what we have to do. Because I'm going to tell you flat out tonight, I have come to people who have gone through their worst day, and I can give them ideas, because I know Scripture well enough, to know that there are, I could enumerate nine or ten purposes that God has for your worst day. I don't know if any of them are true for you on that day. It may be that some of them are, a concoction or a mixture of some of them, and it could be some that I'm not even aware of. I don't know. But here's what, if God has to prove to you why he's doing it, You'll never be happy in all that he is for you in Jesus. Jerry Bridges wrote a quote. It's the the disciples or the disciplines of grace. You can get the book. (coughs) I think it's about 20 some years old. In it is this quote, and it has helped me so many times. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Listen to this. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You know why? Because on your best days and on your worst days, we need God's grace. We do. We have a great opportunity (coughs) um, as a church because our church has been filled lately with people who are going through some of their worst days. People who now have lost loved ones, but their lost loved ones didn't know Jesus. That's why I encourage you, (coughs) excuse me, I know that it isn't always possible if there's a funeral during the middle of the day and you're working. But if you can be here tomorrow night at six o'clock, please be here. Because it might be someone's worst day tomorrow. Um, And we can be encouragement to them. And we can be a help to them. And we can send flowers, and we do. And we can have visits and texts and calls, and we do. And we don't want to even forget just this week, and maybe think about down the road a little bit about remembering some more. You know why? Because we want them to know that God is on the throne, and we believe that. And you know how we express that God is in control? That we're just His hands and feet. See, we're there for them. And we're going to encourage them because we're family because we believe these truths and we don't just talk about them or teach them. We actually seek to live them and we know that we're not all perfect and all of us could be more compassionate. But it is our desire, is it not? To help them to go through their worst day in light of Jesus' worst day because when we see it that way, it changes everything for them and for us. And so let's encourage tomorrow night if we can and we have another one on Monday at Saul's Funeral Home, right? And we have other ones that are coming up perhaps as well with Brian Amatia. Um, Let's be there if we can be. Let's demonstrate to them that we believe God's sovereign and that he's working and means it for good. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us in this little word study tonight that man delivers up. Man thinks that he's in control, but ultimately they're under the umbrella of your sovereign hand. Father, we pray that you'll help us tonight not only to take great encouragement and instruction and consolation ourselves when we face our own worst days from these texts, but we also might be able to be here for others during their worst days, that we could say to them, we uh, sorrow and we shed tears, but not as those who have no hope because we believe Jesus died And his worst day reinterprets our worst day. And we can see it in a completely new light. Help us to be there to encourage others in our church family the more. And we'll praise you and give you the glory for that in Jesus' precious name, amen.